I've got a title for Dot for tonight's word. Um, <clears throat> Entering the Eternal Dance. All right, Dot. <laughs> Entering the Eternal Dance. And as we go on, um, we'll see what that means or a little of what it means. Mark doesn't know what I was feeling that I wanted to preach on. I really want to share some of the pastures that I've been enjoying myself over the last few days. Um, of course, the pastures you feed on over the last few days are not really new. They're, they're fresh, the old things brought in fresh ways. Someone asked me yesterday if I'd changed my ministry or changed the emphasis or anything at all through the years. And I can say, as before the Lord, that I know that right from the beginning, in fact, one of the words I'm going to talk to you about tonight is a word I first heard 30 years ago. Most of you will have never heard this word, so um, some of you will have heard it, but we'll get to it in a minute. Everything I want to build tonight... Um, is around three words in Scripture. They, or two of them are in the Scripture. Well, one of them's in the Scripture, actually. <laughs> but uh, they, all, um, they all begin with the same letter. The letter is P. And really, again, I'm going to preach the Gospel tonight, but I'm going to do it in around these three words in a particular way. So, I want you to turn into the book of Romans, chapter 8. Three words we're going to speak on, and all our thoughts will hang on these three. Two of them you know, one of them you don't. I first came across this word 30 years ago in Glasgow when I was at Bible College. It's a word that I, I loved what it meant. Anyway, <clears throat> enough. Uh, we'll say more of that later. Let's read a little here in Romans chapter 8. It's the famous verse 28 that I want us to go to, to begin with. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. All of those words are in the aorist past tense. That means it's an event that happened at a point in the past. So, 
the called, the predestined, the justified and the glorified, it's all been done. You have great difficulty and so do I getting my mind round the idea, the concept that I'm already glorified, that you're already glorified. But that's actually what Paul is saying. He knows it's done. Anyway, what shall we say to these things? Verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? God, who justifies? Who is he who condemns? Christ, who died? And furthermore is also risen, uh, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written... For your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful, isn't it? Wonderful. When you think how Romans 1 talks about man the last 20 or so verses of Romans 1 when you have a look at the depraved state of man there and then you come back to this or come through all the other chapters to this declaration it's an amazing declaration now the first word that I want to talk about tonight, we read in verse 28. It begins with the letter P. So, tell me what it is. Good. Amen. Purpose. Les mentioned the word purpose in his session this morning. He mentioned it in the context of um, the purpose for our lives. And I think what lay in his mind was particularly, and it's the the idea that lies in many of our minds, uh, what is God's purpose for my life? And we tend to think, you know, have I got another 30 years to live? I hope so at least. Um, What's God's purpose for me? 
And we tend to think in an incredibly personal, individualistic uh, way that uh, is in some ways quite selfish, though we mean well. Now, when you read this word purpose there, did you all notice it had a, a word in front of it? His. And if you've got a good Bible, that word is in italics, which means it's not there. It's added to help us. So he's talking about people who are called according to purpose. That's what's in Paul's mind. Now, Mark prayed out and asked the Lord for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be upon us. And I have no doubt of the need of that. Anything that I have come to know and understand of the great purpose of God has come by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And it's the only way that you and I will come to any understanding. Understand this then, that there is something called purpose. Amen. Just purpose. I want to declare that absolutely clearly, that there is purpose purpose, that the whole of history is purposed. And I would like to a friend, the free willers among us, um, just uh, those who rejoice in the idea of free will, and I would like to read a, a really offensive scripture to such as uh, really believe in free will. Um, I want to read a scripture in Psalm 115. Uh, Psalm 115. And it's quite a helpful scripture. Um, as you'll see what I mean in a minute. Um, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Do you believe that? Eh? Do you really believe that? You see, we talk about free will. I want you to know there's only one who has free will. And that is God. There's only one. Amen. Truly free. Dependent upon none. All wise all purposeful in that will. And he does whatsoever he will. And what he wills is full of purpose. And beloved, there may be other wills that have risen up 
And let it be clear to you, the kingdom of God is. God reigns over all. There are pockets of resistance, but they're only pockets of resistance. And God is working whatsoever He will, and His will is wonderful, as I want to disclose it to you tonight. His will, the thing that He's doing, He does whatsoever He wills. And it's not some uh, fiat, some capricious uh, things that come flashing through his mind and he just sort of shoots off and he does this and he does that. You know, how many of you have heard a word immutable? That God is immutable. It's one of his attributes. It, it, it's, you know, uh, you know the word immutable. It's, um, we use the word mutation, don't we? When something changes. So to be immutable means to be unchangeable. Is that right? Amen. God is immutable. You might remember the mutant ninja turtles of many years ago. There's a great one-liner in that movie. Um, you know how parents coo over their babies and long for the moment when the baby says its first word? You know, is it mama or is it daddy or something like that? The first word of the child <laughs> in the mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, the little story is how they're growing up. The little baby turtles are growing up. And they say their first word, pizza. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> anyway, the... <laughs> the immutability of God the unchangeability of him he never changes but I want you to know that God is utterly dynamic we get the idea if someone's immutable something unchangeable it's set in stone like a rock and never changes never moves never alters but you see we have to grasp that our God is dynamic in his immutability he's, he's alive in his purpose He's throbbing in what he's doing. He's active in it. He has never diminished his activity. He has never turned away from his purpose. But he is working out the purpose. Amen. And he loves it. He's enjoying it. He's thrilled with its progress. He's committed to it right to the end. The purpose. And we need to get a grip on this. We need an understanding in our hearts that in our churches, for instance, there are localised purposes. Someone asked me the question at table tonight, what do you do in your church if no one's being added to the church yet? Do you pray more? Do you do this? Or do you do that? First, I said, I suggest that you discover what the word of the Lord is, His purpose for your assembly. Let the quickening word of God be brought to your heart so that you know something of his mind for you. 
Though you've got something to take hold of. He has localised purposes. All churches, it's impossible for them to be identical. It's impossible for local assemblies to all have the same effectiveness. They're in different localities. They're made up of different constituent parts called members. I'm thinking of that in the spiritual sense. There are different dispositions of gifts that the Lord has been pleased to distribute there and all of these things. The locality varies, powers that are at work and all sorts of things, the timing and so on. But God over and through all of the localized things is working out purpose. Amen. Do you know what purpose is. What, it, what is it? Look at, uh, look at Ephesians chapter 1 and there's a word there. In him, verse 11, Ephesians 1, 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So there's this thing taking place. Mr. Clinton doesn't know about it. His mind is veiled. His heart is dark to it. Benjamin Netanyahu, he does not know it. As far as we can see. Multitudes have no knowledge of this purpose, yet it's unfolding and it's going on. Hallelujah. And he's doing all things among the nations. He's moving things as it pleases him according to the purpose, the counsel of his will. He's, it's, it's the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will. You know, ever since I was a little boy, I had a sense of destiny. Might have got veiled and messed up, but it was there. There was purpose. I tell you, that lies deep in the roots of every human being. There's some kind of purpose I'm here for a purpose. I mean, it's overlaid with all sorts of debris. But it's there. You know, the drive for usefulness, the drive for fulfilment, the drive to live forever, the drive to be a glorious, glorious being is inherent in man. It's part of the image. And the image has not been lost, but screwed up by sin. But the drive lies there. It explains many, many things. The drive for dominion. You know, man was made... Uh, what was one of the things that God said to him? Have dominion. Is that right? That's the drive that's taken them to Mars. That's right. 
That's the drive. Hasn't died, still there. They want to go and know. They want to dominate. They want to have it. It's the, the underlying drive of part of the image that's still there. The image of God. For man was made to be a prince and a ruler. He was made to have dominion. It's tremendous, isn't it? Purpose. You see, <clears throat> we sense it in our hearts. There's purpose for me. And somehow, well, the purpose, called according to purpose. That's all Paul said. Now go back to Romans 8. Let's, um, let's have a, a little... A little look at the purpose as it's revealed um, in Romans 8. I think we can pull out a few things quite easily. Does everybody know that one of the first rules of reading your Bible is to interpret the scripture by the things that immediately surround it? Okay? To, so... If you were doing some Bible study and you hit this word purpose and Paul just sort of throws it out called according to purpose well, he must have been writing about it around that area, the purpose. He, he, must, be, he must be in his mind. He's not just throwing something in. Of course, he was living in the good of it. He laboured in the good of it. He, all his ministry was based on the consciousness of the, pur the purpose. It burned in him. Well, let's see if we can pull out one or two things about the purpose. <clears throat> what about this one? Um, up in verse 19. What about that? The purpose, something to do with the revealing of the sons of God. Oh, that's one thing. Slot it in your mind. What about verse 21? Something called the glorious liberty of the children of God. The glorious liberty of the children of God. Got any idea what that is? The glorious liberty of the children of God. All right, what about this one? Verse 23, the end of the verse. Eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So there's three things. What about this one? <clears throat> In verse 29, I suppose we ought to say this is the strongest indication of the purpose. Right in the middle. Conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See the purpose. Incredible, isn't it? So you've got about four things straight away out of the context that begin to give you a clue about the purpose. It's all to do with men becoming, or man, and I, by that I use the term generically, that is male and female, becoming sons of God. 
becoming adopted, conformed to the image of his son, uh, experiencing the redemption of their body. And I get something here about the fact that when the, the sons, the children of God, verse 21, come into their glorious liberty, well, all the creation's going to be delivered. The purpose. So somehow there's an incredible importance attached to man and the realisation of the purpose for all the creation is intimately linked with the realisation of the purpose taking place in man. I don't want to talk about you individually. I want you to think in terms of man. I have the privilege, uh, Norman wrote to me, asked me if I would speak on Wednesday night, which is the end of the missionary day. And it's a wonderful thing to begin to contemplate that he has, this purpose is for man. It's universal. If all would come, all could have, and all could enter in and experience the powerful effectiveness of the purpose until it is entirely done. Let me, let me put it to you this way. When God made man at the beginning, he made man good. Is that right? But not perfect. And not finished. He was finished in as much as a man coming direct from the hand of God without sin, he was complete, he was finished in that sense, but he was untried, he was untested, he wasn't yet what a man was going to be. People say he was clothed with glory. Well, he certainly was glorious, for all was filled with the glory of God. By the way, you must never ever think that we can give glory to God. You know, God, nothing can be, we can't add to God. So we can't give him something in that sense. But anyway, as you ponder it, you remember that the Lord said to uh, Adam, he, he put him eastward in Eden in a garden, is that right? And one of the things he said to him was, be fruitful and multi not multiply and replenish the earth and... You see, this is why we need to read our Bibles. You see, Genesis is so important, which is why, a hundred years ago, so many people wanted to mythologize it. Because it's so important, because the seeds of everything lie there. And God said to Adam, be fruitful multiply, and mark this, this is your root of your evangelism. Evangelism doesn't begin in Matthew 28, it begins in, in Genesis 1. Anyway, we'll... Anyway, look at this, that the Lord said to Adam, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and fill it 
He put him in a garden. God planted a garden eastward in Eden. What was Adam to do? I mean, the fact that God said to him, fill the earth, subdue it, indicates two things, at least. There was a process that wasn't yet finished, and it wasn't yet begun, actually. Well, it was begun in the fact that the garden was there, right? There was a process, and that process was leading to a what? Fill it. I mean, when you filled something, all right, I got up, made myself a cup of tea, filled a cup, you know, once it was filled, it was filled, right? So once the thing is filled, that particular task is finished. Is that right? So the whole idea, it, right there in Genesis 1, that man was untried, but he had a task, and that task was going to be a process that was going to lead to a climax when it would be finished. Is that correct? I mean, I want you to check me up on this because you've got to think your way through these things and I want you to know because this is all part of the purpose. In fact, it's the heart of the purpose. The purpose for the creation. The purpose for man. So, what would... I mean, so God had this place called Eden... And eastward in Eden, he planted a garden. It says God planted it. And then he said to Adam, now you take care of it and spread it out. So we could say, to use a word, that it was Adam's responsibility was to Edenize the earth. Did you say that? His responsibility was to Edenize the earth. To walk in fellowship with God and bring paradise throughout the length and breadth of the earth, because another word for the garden eastward in Eden is paradise. Amen. And there it was. So he had a task. And he had the inward drive to do it. And he was the prince of all the created things. And they were under his subjection. Uh, and along with his wife beside him, who came out of his rib, there he was to rule and reign with her, and spread the blessed states. And all of that in the context of God's fellowship coming down. Would you say we're beginning to get a little bit of a clue of the purpose? Of course, it's only, I'm only sharing part of it with you. <coughs> Now, go back into Romans 8 here. Um, I mean, this, this thing fascinates me in verse 21. This thing that's called the glorious liberty of the children of God. The glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, what's that? Now, everybody here knows that Romans is a book, the first chapters of Romans are all dealing with several bondages into which man came, and out of which God delivered him. Alright, everybody understand that? Can, can some people begin to name to me some of the bondages that are mentioned in the early chapters of Romans? Because it's quite systematic. Well, I'll, I'll name uh, the first thing the, for you. It'll be a help. You'll find it in the first chapters, uh, 
from uh, verse 18 onwards through chapter 1 into chapter 2 and into chapter 3 you'll find there's this bondage to a sense of the wrath of God man is in bondage he's afraid of God now we have to get this clear in our hearts I would say to you that uh, the bedrock of you going on with God is that you know that you are justified. That's the bedrock. If you don't know that you're justified, if you're still uncertain about your status before God, and I believe that many are, not particularly here, but around the places that I go, those who've thought deeply enough about these things, they're not certain that the wrath of God no longer abides upon them. Man under bondage. You see, when Adam fell from the great purpose, and yet still was motivated by the strong drives to dominate, now you can understand he was have dominion, but now he became domineering, and he became dominating. You husbands, get this clear. So if you're still in the carnal state, that urge for true dominion and loving rule over your family will be turned into domineering and dominating spirit. And you'll dominate your children and you'll domineer in your whatever sphere you are. But the urge, the drive, is a valid one. When Adam fell from it, and this great purpose, and his wife with him, beloved, they ceased to become, to be proper persons. Now I come on to my second word. Persons. See, I want to talk, the purpose is to do with the person. Persons. They cease to be proper persons. <clears throat> Frustrated. What was their relationship to God like? You know, in the beginning, what was their relationship to God like? What was Adam to God? You'll find at the end of uh, Luke... You're told one of the secrets about Adam's relationship to God. Adam was the son of... Adam was the son of God. Adam was the son of God. Mm. Amazing, isn't it? Adam was a servant of God. Amen. Adam was meant to be a prophet of God. In fact, he acted prophetically when he named the animals. Amen. He was marvellous, Adam. I presume it's right for us to say that he lived in love with God. That he knew nothing but cloudless skies in his heart. Unblemished fellowship with God. I think it's right to say that he didn't fear a thing. 
He wasn't anxious about a thing. There was no concerns in his heart about the future. Hallelujah. Amazing. And just the contrast. When they grasped to themselves the thing, you know, they wanted to be, you know, as God. Knowing good and evil. I'm not going to go into the fall. We know so much about it. It's horrible. The, the, the sense of foreboding. Maybe there are even people in the room here. You know, it's like a, a woman I saw a couple of weeks ago and I said to her, I just, I just whispered in her ear, I said, you're in constant fear that something's sitting on your shoulder and going to completely crush you, aren't you? You're never sure about anything. She confessed it. God liberated that particular lady. But you see, the sense of anxiety, the sense of fear, the sense of foreboding, the sense of the wrath of God, we're outside somehow what we should be, we're misfits. That's it. That's it. This is, get it clear, this is what, this is, this is common to man. Common to man. There's no one outside us. We may dress ourselves up in this, that and the other. We may do all sorts of things, erect all sorts of neat little hidey holes, but underneath, it's there, just waiting to pop out. Man in the fallen state. And you know, when, when man fell, <coughs> I, I wonder if we can get a little bit of a grasp of this. He ceased to be a proper person. What does it mean to be a person? Anyone thought about what person... I mean, if you were to read some things, and it's, it's a good definition, to be a person means to be someone who is thinking, willing, and feeling. All right, a person is someone. I mean, uh, I hope you don't like to use to use the word human, do you? As opposed to some other. You know, we're the human species. We are persons. What about how many of you got dogs? Does it think? Is it thinking, willing, feeling? Not like a person, is it? Well, is it? Come on, get it clear. There's a deep and fundamental distinction between all other created orders of being that are lower than man. You see, it's amazing. You get this marvellous psalm, don't you? Read, read it with me. Psalm 8. A little bit of this. <clears throat> psalm 8. It says, When I consider, verse 3, your heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars which you have ordained. All right, have you considered them? I can remember when um, I used to go to a place called Hengisbury Head, uh, which is in Bournemouth. And I used to go to that place at night. I had a certain reason for going there, which will not be mentioned. <laughs> and, uh, but I used to stroll... <laughs> Uh, and look and I loved the Lord in those days and I used to look up 
And sometimes I'd sit waiting <coughs> and uh, I'd look up and I'd see all those stars. And I used to think this. When I consider <coughs> the heavens, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, I used to think, it's so big, Lord. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? I understood even then what the psalmist was saying. He said, it's amazing. The psalmist is saying, it's amazing. You visit me. What is man? This tiny little pinbrick in contrast to the galaxies. But it's man you visit. It's man you love. It's man that you're working out your purpose in. It's man that you've made the image of God. It's man. And don't you ever think that you're a glorified animal. And don't treat the person next to you like one. And don't treat the black down the road like one. And don't, I mean it, May the works of sin be taken out of our hearts and all racism with it. For all came of one man. Two weeks ago I was at a pastor's conference in Adelaide and I heard a 62-year-old ab Aboriginal lady speak. Powerful. She spoke in the conference. She's one of the stolen generation, if any of you know about that. One, she narrated how as a little three-year-old she could remember them coming with the truck and they grabbed her and her sister and dumped her on the back of the truck and that's the last time she saw her mother for 38 years. Anyway, and the grace of God had done such a healing work in her heart. Marvellous to listen to her. Well, what is man... That you visit him. You see, you, you get this clear. And from this state, man fell. And in this state, we've all lived. And from this state, I hope that many of us have known the first fruits of liberation. And the first thing you're liberated from, beloved, is the sense of the wrath of God by the justifying power of Jesus' blood. That you're no longer under wrath and you no longer stand guilty. There's, you see, this verse that I read here in Romans chapter 8 has an interesting little touch to it. Go back there. Um, just read carefully. It says here that we are being liberated into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Alright? Liberty of. Now, before you come into the liberty of, so there's a liberty that is the basic states. Can I ask you the question, who is the child of God? All oh, right, I'll put it another way. Who is the Son of God? One Son. Amen. How do you become a son? You become a son in the Son. 
You become a son in the son. Get that clear. You derive your sonship from the son by a birth from above, as we heard last night, which is accomplished by God the Father through the pains of his son and the pains of his own heart in the act. It's a Trinitarian work. But we become sons in the Son. But I want you to know that the liberty of the Son of God has been an eternal state. The liberty of. You see, at the moment, we have to experience liberty from. All right? Has everyone got that clear? Liberty from... I'll have to rush. I looked at my watch five minutes ago. Liberty from guilt. Romans, the first few chapters. Liberty from wrath. What about this thing called liberty from sin? It's a bit about that in Romans, isn't it? I mean, so that you know, liberty, liberty... Glory to God. What about this thing that's mentioned in Romans 7, verses 1 to 6? What's that? Someone throw it out to me who knows your Bible. What's the thing we're liberated from in Romans 7, 1 to 6? Law. So that we're no longer under slavery to the legal code standing there against us. Instead, it's fulfilled in the Son in our hearts. Written there. Hallelujah. Liberated. Amen. There's something that we're waiting for liberty from that's mentioned in this very chapter, isn't there? Something yet to come. What's the liberty from? Over there in Romans 6, he's talking about another kind of liberty in Romans 6. It's not just liberty from the guilt of sin in Romans 6, it's liberty from the dominating power of sin, so that you're no longer slaves of it. Is that right? Just so you've got it clear in your mind. Liberty from, liberty from. What I ask you, you get liberty from by something, don't you? Good, so you've got it. So you get liberty by. You get liberty from because of liberty by. And how do you keep free? You've got to keep free by living in. So liberty's in, alright? So when... Let, let, let me take it my own life. There came a day, I knew I was under the wrath of God, I knew it, it was written in my heart, and there came a day when I knew the wrath was past. I knew it. No one told me, I knew it. I knew it. The blood of Jesus was effective in me. And I'll tell you that, that came to me by grace. The liberty from came by grace. I got liberty by grace. Amen? Now, I'm having to learn to live in grace. Is that right? Are you all learning to live in grace? In grace? That's how you keep free from... You keep from... You keep free from by... And you live by by living in. Is it clear? I hope so, because God wants it to be clear to your heart. You're not going to be free by your own efforts, beloved. You're not going to strain yourself into liberty. It comes by the word of His grace. 
And I want you to know that he does what he wills in the earth. And what he wills is to speak grace to as many hearts as he possibly can. And he wants to speak grace here. Do you understand that? That's what it means where he sits in his heaven, he does what he wills. He says, I will my purpose, and my purpose is to bring man back into that original intention. Listen, it's not generation, it's regeneration. Amen. It's regeneration. Praise the name of the Lord. Did you get the difference? It's not something new in the sense that it never was. It's always been there in the heart of God. And the seeds of it were in Adam and from it he fell. And so God knew that would happen. And he brought it to pass in the Son. The Son. Hallelujah. And you and I, there's only one way of regeneration, that's in the Son. And that's the way we become sons, as I have said. Hallelujah. Now, liberty from, by, and you live in grace. But this verse talks about the liberty of. You see, what I'm telling you, beloved, is that you and I are going to a state as persons as persons that's not liberty from and not liberty by and not liberty in but we're going to enter into states which are the liberty of the eternally free three. That's the purpose. Alright, let me, let me come out on it at another angle. <clears throat> Here's, here's the person, Adam, made in the image of God. Hallelujah. Well, let's talk about the image of God in just a little bit. Just a little bit. What is God? In your Bible, let's say your New Testament, let's just take your New Testament. When your Bible, your New Testament says Lord, who's that referring to in the New Testament? Jesus. Good. When it says God, except with one or two exceptions, who's it referring to? The Father. Amen. And when it says Spirit, who's it referring to? Spirit. Did you notice something about the Spirit? That sometimes he's called the Spirit of God, sometimes he's called the Spirit of Jesus, sometimes he's called the Spirit of Holiness, sometimes he's called the Spirit of the Son. Now that will give you an amazing clue about the persons of the Godhead. You see, these are the original, eternal persons. God. Hallelujah. Do you know, the seraphim looking on those eternal three, do you know what they say? Yes. you know what they say? They don't say, love, love, love. And they don't say, holy, holy, holy. They cry, holy! Full of his glory. 
The holy three. Holy! Not something you whisper. They cry. And these glorious three, beloved, in their eternal liberty, how do they live as persons? They exist. You exist, don't you? You say, well, the Godhead subsists as well, and I subsist. Yeah, but you exist. All right, now I'm going to ask you a question, especially those who you know a little bit of Greek. You might be thinking, what I've been talking to you has been a lot of Greek tonight. I hope not. Um, but it's made up of two words. Exist. A person, a person exists. Does anybody know what the Greek preposition E-K means? Out of. That's right, out of. Okay. Just so that you know what true existence is. How, you see, God exists. The Father exists. The Son exists. The Spirit exists. You say, what do you mean, Bernard? I'm telling you that the Godhead know the glorious liberty of they live out of one another in to the other two. That's true personhood. And if you're living wrapped up around yourself, you're still in Adam. And you're not a proper person. Like Adam ceased to be a proper person. Existence is in God the outpouring. So the Father pours himself into the Son. If I had time, I could talk about these things and show you John's Gospel is the great place where this is disclosed for us. In simple ways, where the eternal states of the Godhead, they interflow. The Father flowing into the Son. The Son, this is, this is love, this is holiness. This is how they find their existence, by bestowing upon another. Now you can see the foulness of sin when it turned man in on himself. You see, when Adam sinned and Eve sinned, they ceased to have a proper relationship with God. They ceased to have a proper relationship with one another. They ceased to have a proper relationship with themselves. They were an aberration. A pervert. Unfulfilled. That's why, beloved, even us, we feel somehow unfulfilled. The job's not done. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not all that I could be. I want you to know the purpose is that you shall be what he originally intended and to come into the glorious liberty of <laughs> the Godhead the glorious liberty of the children of God beloved is the thing that is the states of God without being divine we can't be divine we shall never be divine but the bride shall be there in the Godhead sharing their dance I get to my third word that no one here probably will have heard of one of my favourite words, 30 years ago, perichoresis. 
Yeah, how about that one? You like that? Pericoresis. Now everybody knows the word peri, don't they? Peripatetic. Alright? You don't know that? Walking around, movement. Peri means to go round. Perimeter. What's the perimeter? Round the edge, eh? The perimeter of Rora. 18 acres that make up the perimeter, uh, the site of Rora, and it has a perimeter. Go walk round the perimeter. Per- Perichoresis. How many of you know what uh, choresis is a Greek word? All right. How many of you know the greatest dancer that ever lived? He, he was about my build. <laughs> yes. Good old Fred. Amen. <laughs> Did you know that he used to choreograph all his routines. All right? Perichoresis. See, choreograph, it's it's the word dance. Choresis is the word dance. Chorus. We get the word chorus from it. Chorus in the sense of a chorus line. We don't want to talk about that, I know, but... All right. (laughs) Chorus, the idea of dance. Hallelujah. And the perichoresis, that is, the constant inner interpenetration and inflowing of the persons of the Godhead, interpenetrating one another, always centred on the other, pouring themselves out. This is love. This is the life of God, the Son, and the Spirit, and the Father, This is their eternal state. This is their liberty. Unsullied. (gasps) Unbroken. Undying. No possibility of it being corrupted. Nothing can ever go wrong with it. This glorious liberty of God. That the Son has eternally enjoyed and look it's being opened up <clears throat> the dance of God and I want, to, I want to use that purposely because I know that given the right circumstances there's a drive in you to dance to move you know and it's not any of this stuff you know, where they all sort of face one another and they're sort of... <laughs> but they're... It's not that. It's this... this Where you're so involved. I'm thinking now of, of those, you know, back home, some of the 21st parties or the 18th parties. We have barn dances. Um, they call them bush dances in Australia. Okay. And so you know what it is and you get a caller up and you know everyone's sort of going around and sort of all this business. Okay? And everything's going on and there's this... And the dance never works unless everybody's flowing with it. Weaving in and out and up and down. Hallelujah. Helping one another, carrying one another. Here it is. It's just a kind of illustration of the states of life that are the natural states of life for mankind. This is his purpose into which he is bringing us. 
And there's an invitation to the dance tonight. The eternal dance of God. We can only know a prolepsis of it now. We can only know a foretaste now. Haven't we had it? I mean, I don't know what you think about music. Uh, we had a little bit of a, you know, a remark about it last night. And there's music and there's music. What you've got to understand is in Luther's day and in the hundred years after Luther, 100,000 hymns were written in German. Of them, they reckon there's 500 remaining. The rest were mediocrity. It's the same today. Plenty of stuff being written and sung and listened to. And there's some of it that will stick, that's edifying and that's helpful. But I know this, that even tonight, when the music's going and, and people are just enjoying the Lord, I just felt earlier on in the meeting, isn't it lovely to be together? You could just sit together and come to quietness and God's Spirit could move among us. And I'm not saying, there's a, a dance in the heart is what I'm trying to bring home to you. There's a sort of a movement that needs to take place. There's this interpenetration of one another. This is what your neighbour needs. They need another person-centred person living next to them called you. Like the father is other person-centred. He's centred on his son and on the spirit. And there's this interpenetration, this flowing of his being into his son. This is love. And we have the foretaste of this in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Is that not right? And am I not right in saying, and just picking up where Les left us this morning, in the glorious word at the end of Matthew 16, where he talked about losing your life for my sake, and you'll find it. Yeah, that's right. You start to pour yourself into God and others for his sake, and you'll find yourself. You'll start to become a proper person. You'll start to experience in the measure that we can the dance of God into which we are going to go eternally and we're going to enjoy its amazing liberty from corruption. These states that shall never be corrupted. Won't it be wonderful? You see, I think of this. I've got to be absolutely honest with you. Here, here I am. I come from Perth, Western Australia. And I love it down there. And it's home. And I love the people. And in many ways I regret having to leave them all the time. I don't get involved with them like I used to. And the joy of pastoral involvement with people is a wonderful thing. And the church has gone steadily on, steadily on, gently on. We haven't strained ourselves to shout our guts out. But gradually the shout comes from some hearts and it'll come from more. And we haven't tried to flash everything up and all the rest of it. God has graciously led on. But in the back of my mind, sometimes I wonder, when shall this blessedness end? When shall the spoiler come? You see, the, the sort of hint in the back of your mind that you know that there's a spoiler and he'll try if he can. You know what I'm saying? Uh, don't, uh, don't let me give you the idea that I'm going around with my head between my knees, sort of worrying my insides out. I'm only trying to bring home a little point about the fact that there's corruptibility down here everywhere. 
there's something, there's, there's an enemy, there's things that go wrong, there's things that upset. We know that all things work together for good. We learn that. It comes more and more to our hearts. Hallelujah. If we love God and accord according to the purpose and going on in the purpose... Hallelujah, that will help you, won't it? If you're wrapped up in the purpose for your church, and that's the whole thing, if you're in the purpose, seeing that that's being fulfilled. But as we go on, we find that there's this sense of, even a foreboding might come, an anxiety. You know, there's just awareness, is that right? There's grief, there's things that fail, etc., What's it going to be like to be in the liberty of the children of God? Can you begin to think about it? Go on, you think about it. <clears throat> Just a minute. Unending, unsullied, clearness, total love, without the possibility of bro- breakdown. No possibility, no thought, no inkling, not, there's, there's no chance of anything ever uh, ruining this. Hallelujah. Of course, obviously, sin's gone and all that ages ago, but... See, this is the purpose, bringing us into this life. <clears throat> What's going to happen to the creation when we come into it? The creation. And we read it. I'm not tricking anybody. We read it. What's going to happen to the creation? That we come into this, in God's purpose, is going to be so crucial for all the creation. Is that right? What's going to happen to the creation? It's going to be delivered. It's quite amazing, isn't it? Let me, let me take you to another scripture and then I'll stop. Um, in the first letter of John. In the first letter of John. See, these things really are so wonderful to feed on, aren't they? Um, there's this word in the third of John, the first epistle in the third chapter, where it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And therefore the world does not know it, know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now are we the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be... Now, you see, we we all get sort of these ideas, like him, you see, oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, you know that song? Blessed Redeemer. And I know that we, we ground it here in sort of, well, I want to be more gentle, I want to be more forgiving, I want to be... You know, like Jesus was, you know, and we think in terms of particulars. But I'm trying to show you, it's the existence that's going to be full. We're going to really exist like he does. 
We're going to be real persons in the person. We're, we're going to live an eternity in the dance of God. We're going to be as the bride brought into their perichoresis. There's another word that I learnt all those years ago, circumincessio, that's the Latin. I wonder if Norman can remember these words. They stick in my mind. Circumincessio, it means the constant passage of things going round, moving, ever moving, dynamically moving, pouring out. You see, can you see that this is how they are now? This is what I see about real church life. It's a pouring thing. The love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's poured out by the Holy Spirit. When? Well, check Romans 5 and you'll find some of the context of it. You know, when tribulation's working, patience and patience experience and experience hope. It's in the context of all that. The love of God. There's this dynamic pouring going on. Well, where, does, where did the Holy Ghost come from? I mean, he, he came from the Father. But how did he get from the Father to us? He came through the Son. So, you, you with me? It, the pouring, this, this move. And when the Holy Ghost moves in your heart, what does he make you do? He shall glorify amen and there it is you're beginning to share the first fruits of the perichoresis you're in the dance already there's a movement that's taking you up you see one of the secrets of life is go with it you must learn to get in the dance even while you're here you must let your heart be carried and moved you must let your emotions and affections and your mind be taught yes he's a God of the mind also as well as the affections the emotions and certainly a God of the will Hallelujah. You're a person, a thinking, a willing, feeling person. And he takes you up and he takes you into this dance and he takes you into this divine movement. Hallelujah. I'm in it. I believe this is the heart of all evangelism and all missionary work. And if you're not in this, stop evangelizing. And I mean it, you'll be a pain. Get in the dance of God in his love for mankind, in his outpoured affections, in his care for people. I'm not saying you're going around cuddling everybody, but I'm telling you that there'll be something in your heart toward mankind and toward the, the, this person and that person and the other person and they will be persons to you still in the image of God. How many of you have started off a good conversation with a drunk like this? when a drunk sat down beside you on a park bench and he's passed his bottle over to you. All right. Victoria Best Bitter. 